everyone, this is Jacqueline. It's your host and usual editor, although Jane added to this one because she's the Nectar of the Pods editor. Jane is very sick this week. Uh, we are not going to be able to record a main episode. Please send her your get well soons and well wishes. So instead, I want to present to you all the first episode of our Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans discussion podcast that we did over on Nectar of the Pods, our bonus show that you can get for $3 or up on patreon.com slash girls. Uh, we hope to release this so that people would still have something to listen to this week if they want to. Uh, we summarized it so you don't need to know the show to go in. Uh, although, I don't know, maybe it's helpful. It's also a good show, so it, I think you should watch it. And uh, yeah, if you like it, maybe go over to Patreon and give us a little, a little look-see. So thank you and enjoy the Nectar. Hi, and welcome to Nectar of the Pods, our final bonus show where we talk about anything and everything that's not the Magnus... fuck... what is... Uh, Magnus Chase... no, it's not Magnus Chase Chronicles, that's what I said last week. Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard. <laughs> Nailed it. I'll have it dialed in by next week, don't worry. Good work. Uh, I could re-record this, but I won't. How are you, Jacqueline? Uh, I'm Jacqueline, you're Jane, I'm okay. Uh, I... I had a dream last night. Okay, I had a dream, not like the night that I just woke up from, the yesterday night, that I was working. I was working at my job, and then I had to leave because my mom was picking me up. But I think maybe it was Kiara instead. And mm. Ki- Ki- no, no, not like this. I, I just mixed up who was who in the story for a second. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and we drove past like an LGB alliance protest. Oh no! Uh, and then we got scooped up by an Eldritch evil, uh, and uh, after shouting at them, uh, and it turned out that it was chaos from Sonic the Hedgehog, um, I, you know from, from Sonic Adventure. I I do not know. I've never played Sonic Adventure. The nice thing about driving past an LGB Alliance protest is that it doesn't take very long because there's usually only like five people there. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was also five people in my dream. Uh, <laughs> Even uh, in your wildest dreams, they cannot drum up into double digits for those events. Uh-huh. Uh, this is this is chaos. Chaos is like the god that Knuckles worships. Um and you you it's and like the antagonist oh, of that man. Oh, is- this guy. Yeah, uh, so there was a giant chaos, and it turned out the chaos was my mom, uh, and right. I like, I was like, oh no, you're made of liquid, I'm falling into your arm, uh, and then I was like, whoa, this is like blue chocolate chip cookies, and then I fell, and then I woke up. And you woke up, so, and you had morphed into Percy Jackson, thinking about your I, mother's blue chocolate chip cookies. And that's that's how I uh, that's how I got Isekai'd into being Percy Jackson, and now I'm trying to stop all the bad stuff from happening. <laughs> that's, how that's... are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, we're, we're we're both having thoughts about uh, mothers related to baking. My mom made a uh, Victoria sponge cake today. What the uh, fuck? What, what Victoria sponge cake? What is this? It's just it's just literally a sponge cake with like. You basically make two small sponge cakes uh, and then uh, splat them together, but there's like jam in the middle. That sounds good. It is. It's very good. Uh, what's What's less good is uh, eating the leftover um, uh, batter. Okay. Which did have raw eggs in it, but I I ate several spoonfuls of that. So we'll see if I like slowly start dying of salmonella as the episode goes on. Was it tasty? It was pretty good. Yeah. Well, okay, this is the thing with batter. It has raw eggs in it. It's always going... And raw... Uh, batter, dough, all that stuff. It's always a little bit tastier than the final product. It's a little bit taste. I think... I think in this case it might not be, because the... Uh, my mom went pretty heavy on the vanilla extract in it, but... Okay. Right? That... Yeah, so it cooked away. It was a little bit overwhelming in the, the batter, but yeah, it'll get cooked away a little bit, and I think, like, the sweetness of the jam in the cake... Is gonna that's gonna cut through it a bit, and I think it's gonna be very tasty. That makes sense. I'm excited for you to try it. Let me know how it is. Uh, I will. I, God, you listeners yeah, will never I, know. It'll be a mystery to you forever. 
no, absolutely. I I made uh, cupcakes uh, a few months back. Um, oh yes, you and... showed you showed me these. They looked disastrous, but you told me that they were very tasty. Yeah, yeah. I had to make them twice because they ended up so <laughs> fucked up the first time. Uh, because I I put in like I think like double the amount of either baking powder or so. Or I think it was flour. flour. You you used way too much flour, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I used like a. A, a tablespoon instead of a teaspoon or some shit um <laughs> no it's because you were like you instead of weighing it you were trying to like use uh measuring cups or something but you're like packing the flour really hard down into it which meant that it kind right. of threw off the measurements right i didn't use the proper knife knife chopping method uh-huh. uh or a scale yeah. just a scale <laughs> we have a scale but it's way too hard to use that <laughs> uh uh I guess maybe I'll try it next time. <laughs> your your British ways. What I, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I I really I I did end up liking those, but the the best part was just like getting the batter of it and just yeah like, yeah yeah, just like licking it right off the like if you just ha- I don't know it just being like all right let's get the spatulas let's get the fucking whisk let's consume it's it's probably the greatest component uh it's also very satisfying to bake something i feel like i need to do it again yeah it's been a while since i baked a lemon meringue pie a couple of months ago that that turned out pretty good uh despite all odds despite me like dumping the lemon filling onto it before i had properly thickened it so i then had to like i had to tip the filling back out into a pan to thicken it properly and then stick the uh, the base in the oven for like 20 minutes on a low heat to dry it. And it's a miracle uh-huh. that that was edible after I did that. God. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, it's... People say that baking is an exact science, right? <laughs> um, that That's that's not exactly true. It's ba- also... Uh-huh. I feel ba- baking is an exact science when you read the instructions properly instead of skimming them and thinking, that's probably fine. Which is what I did. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and then it turns into sort of jazz. <laughs> if jazz gave you the shits. Yeah. Which, you know, if you, if you play the proper frequencies, it can happen. <laughs> but- this is my chocolate cake brown note. <laughs> when you said that, the style of like, a, this is my stand. Uh- <laughs> Uh, I, I like the idea of like an anime battler where they, where they just battle fucking uh, baked goods with each other. I regret to inform you that this exists and it's called Food Wars and it sucks. <laughs> oh God, the Food War. Oh, I've never read Food Wars. I know the Food Wars person made a one, made like a One Piece, uh, like story that was like Sanji making food for women and their clothes flying off. That sounds on uh, brand. Uh huh, um, I and I think all the other people's clothes flew off too, but it was mainly the women. Uh-huh. Um, and that was not very good. Out of all the One Piece things I've read, I think I probably like the main thing more, like a little <laughs> bit more at least than the than the Food Wars naked comic. Uh, but yeah, what about good anime? What about good anime? Yeah, we, we're not talking about uh, JoJo's today because we put that on the poll and it got absolutely slaughtered by everything else on it. Uh-huh, people were like, no, fuck off. <laughs> Everyone's on my side. Uh, I think I think it's because everyone hates Stardust Crusaders except me. <laughs> I, that might be true. I don't... Is this, like... Is Stardust Crusaders the, the no? This isn't. Everyone loves Stardust Crusaders. I feel like. I know. I know. Marcy was was saying that she hates Stardust Crusaders. Okay. I just. I feel like it's like. How do I say this? I feel like it's like, the, basic bitch JoJo. Yeah, it is. It's the it's the basic bitch road trip with the boys one, and I enjoy that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't mean that that's bad. I just mean like. <laughs> It's the normie one to like. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe four is the normie one to like. I don't know. I feel like, no, four is the, like, hipster opinion. Okay, Which okay. is a shame, because it is also, like... Mm. Part six might be better. It's either four or six. Okay. Interesting. Well, maybe I'll get there eventually. <laughs> it's never gonna happen. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll skip three and go straight to four. 
Uh, actually, uh, I wonder if uh-huh. I wonder if that might actually be doable because four part four is very much just like episodic vibes and hanging out in this town. Like there is plot stuff tied back into Stardust Crusaders, but like you could probably get it from context. Probably, I I do want to like finish Stardust Crusaders because it's so like. <clears throat> Because it's so like I don't know culturally iconic, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I I need to know when I need to know like the awesome moments. I need to know when like fucking JoJo and Dio were looking at each other from the staircase or whatever. I I need to know like oh you're approaching me. I need to know about that. Yeah, yeah. the 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 thing the thing the criticism of Stardust Crusaders that I do agree with is that all of that stuff that you just mentioned, all the culturally iconic stuff, that is from the back like five episodes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll skip there. <laughs> That's what I, I always I say. It's about the destination, not the journey. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, that, and that's especially good for a road trip series. <laughs> now, there's a pretty good TTRPG called Tendencies that's about, I, for, from your description of 4, just playing out JoJo Season 4, where you're a bunch of, like, basically stand users or like nin users mm. who are all in like a town and just like hanging out and having like little adventures every week that does sound fun god i, I wish i wish there was a hunter hunter rock that was like that uh, yeah yeah for sure i like i guess it's all om- no there's none of them uh yeah it's god i was thinking about fucking hunter hunter so much the other day i you're always doing this I was, but okay, Media Club Plus, the new Friends of the Table podcast uh, has started, mm-hmm. um, where they where they just talk about Hunter Hunter, and it's awesome. Uh, and it's inspired, like, such a wave of, like, new discussion of Hunter Hunter in my circles, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. There's so much, there's so much meat on these bones, on the bones of the story. <laughs> you never read any of the, like, manga stuff after, after the anime, right? Uh, I gave it a crack. I tried to read the Dark Continent arc, but I just... Manga has to be, like... I don't know. It has to, like, grab me very quickly, like Chainsaw Man did, or I'm just gonna lose interest and forget about it. I think that's fair. You know, I I love the post-anime. Like, I love the fucking uh, tournament. I love the uh, Dark Continent arc. I I like the, like, Hisoka battle thing uh, a lot. Uh, If... if, Okay, did you get to the Hisoka... uh, Hisoka Krolo fight. I think I got about five chapters in and gave up. Okay. I think I was also say that I think also because I was like, do I want to get invested in a new arc? The show had like a definitive conclusion. Do I want to get into this new arc? And then Togashi fucking dies. Mm, that's too <laughs> sad to say. <laughs> Listen, I don't want it to happen, but it's a possibility. I suppose you're right. Uh, I I think. <sighs> I. <sighs> There's a weird. I hate Hisoka so much, and like how prevalent Hisoka is in a lot of the marketing around this show. <laughs> uh, I also think if you just want to read like a little snippet of what comes after the anime, just skip to the Hisoka Krolo fight. Interesting. Uh, which is just like an absolute banger of like a like a little like not self-contained arc, but like what like what happens when they meet up again? It's it's kind of insane. I I really enjoy it. What's Hisoka getting up to? Nothing good, probably. <laughs> probably nothing good uh god there's other anime too in this world we watched some anime yesterday we did uh we watched our new our new centerpiece thing we're talking about on the bonus show <laughs> that's what iron-blooded orphans the 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 2015 i believe so Okay, I just pulled that number out of my ass, so I'm glad I got it right. <laughs> I was like, "What? I'm analyzing what this anime looks like. When could it be from? Perhaps 2015." <laughs> Excellent eye. You really, you really nailed in the digit paint art style they're using. <laughs> uh, and it's about. Should I just? Should I just try and give a summary of what I saw, and you can go back and yeah, tell me if it. I'm wrong? Okay. <clears throat> but up, up, but up. No, okay, I can't reuse that. Uh, I need to drink water really fast. So we watched episodes one through three. The broad arc of what happens is that there is a mercenary group, uh, a, a, a private military corporation that is mainly made of like a bunch of children who are also commanded over by some adults too. It's a little bit uh, Coney 2012. A little bit. 
Uh, and they are being commanded to, they live on Mars mm-hmm. and they're being commanded to go help this princess, uh, like escort this princess back to earth where she can help with the free earth activist movement. However, to stop her from doing that, her father and Gallerhorn, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who are something, uh, they're, they're some sort of entity or corporation do you or want me state. To, do you want me to like interject as you're talking or like go back later? Because I'll probably forget what you've said if I try to go back later. I, you can go as I'm talking if you want. Yeah, a Gallahorn are basically like, uh, did you, you've, how much do you know about Zeta Gundam? Uh, Camille exists. Okay, and... never mind. <laughs> uh, the... <laughs> Wait, okay. Uh, Camille exists. Uh, Ch- Char is Quattro Brigina, uh, I think. Uh, and uh... basically, I think that's all. Uh-huh. Gallahorn are like uh, the Titans from that show, which is to say, like they are the a semi-independent uh, elite military arm of, like, the, the ruling powers in the world. So they okay, are, like, okay. technically meant to be, like, politically neutral, but they, um, like, do all the policing and military stuff on behalf of the four economic blocks on Earth that are, like, controlling everything. Okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, so they, uh, Gallerhorn attacks the, the, these guys when they're trying to escort her back to Earth, uh, kill a lot of people who are, you know, the kids who work there as soldiers. Mm. Um, w- one of the guys is quite horrified by this. Is like, this is this is unethical. We can't kill children. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so they, the kids use this, led by a guy voiced by Johnny Young Bosch with a cool character design, um, whose name is uh, Orga Itsuka. Whose name is Auger? Is that right? Orga O R G A. O R G A, oh like, Orga. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Orga, uh, Orga, who's kind of like the brains behind the operation, mm-hmm. like sort of the like the emotional leader of all these kids a little bit, uh, but especially one of the kids who's the main character, whose name is Mikazuki, uh, Mikazuki August, mm-hmm. uh, is uh like figure makes a plan to basically take over this PMC and create their own sort of independent PMC Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, run by kids. It's sort of like the, the kid nation of 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 private military companies. It's like kids next door, Um, except they're using guns with live ammunition in them. uh Uh-huh. Um, they, they end up beating back Gallerhorn by, uh, Mika goes and gets in the Gundam, which is hidden underneath the base. Not uh, just hidden underneath and... the base, actually, this is a cool little detail, is they're using it to, uh, power the base, like, it's the base's reactor. And you can oh. even see, there's a, a couple of shots it cuts to when they're initially booting it up, of, like, the lights going off in the base, because they disconnected it. That's sick. <laughs> uh... And uses this to beat back Gallerhorn. Later, the guy who's like, it's terrible to kill children, comes back and challenges them to a one-on-one duel. Uh, everyone wants Mika to use this as like a negotiating attempt. Like, well, give us money, because by this point, they've gone independent. Uh, however, instead, Mika just fights him one-on-one and defeats him and uh, ends up uh, killing him when he says, you know, kill me because I... Uh, because I don't want this, I need this to fall on my head and on the heads of my subordinates. Well, and so Mika, what uh-huh. what Crank says is, "Kill me because I don't want this to fall on." And then uh, he's cut off by Mikazuki fucking capping him mid sentence. I don't think that's true. I no I, no. I, I think he gets. Oh, I just I just are mean. You right? I just mean like. I all the things that you said are correct, and he does say those. I just wanted to emphasize that like Mikazuki shoots him mid sentence. Yes, he does do that. Yeah, like he's like, oh, I. Wait, he's like, oh, I can't bear to do it myself. Oh, thank you. And literally, just like, all right, two two clean shots to the head. <laughs> it's it's incredible. The editing on this part is wild. It's like really fast in a way that is so like, it almost feels janky, but more so, it's just like sudden and shocking, I guess. Um, which is how it feels a lot of time there's death in the show, uh, just like of these kids. Uh, I think that's that's the main thrust of what happens in these first three episodes. Did I miss anything big? 
I don't. I don't think so. No. Basically. Well. Yeah. Oh, sorry. There you go. Well, there's one thing which is uh, Megillus Farid and his his Garma. Uh, Gaelio Bodwin. Was it? Gaelio Bodwin. Gaelio Bodwin. Uh, they are two top brass, I think, majors mm-hmm. uh, in uh, the Gallarhorn command structure, and they arrive, I think, on the Gallarhorn base on Mars. Yeah, they are. Uh, they say that they're from the inspection bureau, and their job is to like audit this place because it's being run by a bunch of crooked and shady characters. And this is a problem for the people who are running the place because they just engaged in this like illegal battle because they were paid to to kill this activist. And they, right, and they right, right. To... because they were paid to, because uh, her, her father wanted her to die, uh, mm-hmm. because he is being paid by a guy on Earth named, like, fucking Mick Bryson or something. Noblest Gordon. Noblest Gordon, which is a great name to have <laughs> that makes you so trustworthy. <laughs> oh, and this all ends by... Uh, <clears throat> Um, the, 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 the activist princess, what's her name? Cordelia. Cordelia. Cordelia, uh, Cordelia uh, re- saying, I'm going to return to earth because, and like help the free earth movement. And I'm, I know someone who can help you. I know someone who has the funds to help you. It's my, it's my good friend, Noblest Gordon. Yeah. Also, uh, the minor correction, uh, Cordelia has never <laughs> been to earth before. She's going there to negotiate to uh, free Mars from colonial control because she's from the free Mars movement. The free Mars movement, not the free Earth movement. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I misunderstood. Um, These episodes okay, are very so, fast-paced. Okay, so the basic structure I've got here is that Earth is like the commanding power in the galaxy. Is that right? Yeah. And that the other planet, or at the very least Mars, I guess I don't know what the, well, it's like on other planets if there are any. Um, are sort of like colonies of Earth. It is basically the relationship between like uh, Earth and the colonies in like the original Mobile Suit Gundam. It's just expanded out a bit more to cover um, uh, Mars and a couple of like stations like in the outer solar system, and I think Venus in some of the expanded material. But we don't need to worry about that because it never comes up in the show. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. That. A lot of this feels like just an expansion on the ideas of the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Mm-hmm. Like this, this feels in a lot of ways just like a very direct, not like beat for beat or anything, but you know, it's about a gaggle of children who have to go it on their own. You know, there are a couple of older people, uh, but not like who sometimes help out, but not really. Uh, it does. And, it does mm-hmm. open on a military base which is attacked by three green mobile suits and that first episode ends on the protagonist scoring their first kill on one of them. Which is yes, beat for yes, beat the Zaku is... showing up at side seven. Yes, exactly. Although these ones are less like funny bumbling guys like in the original <laughs> Gundam. No, the fu- the greys is such a fucking good design. It's really cool. God, I love the Zaku. I'm always talking about how much I love just like the original Zaku design. Uh, I... The greys are sick. There are they're, three Zakus on the shelf next to me. The, the Zaku is sick. Nobody is saying the Zaku is not sick. Where, where, like, the Zaku is, like, it's solid and round and, like, it looks, frankly, like, a little bit, like, it looks like a threat, but, it, like, next to a mobile, like, a Gundam, it doesn't look like anything. It looks like a fucking toy soldier. <laughs> um, like, the greys look, like, threatening from the jump, I think. Yeah, the grey is, like... It is the same color scheme as the Zaku. It's the same like uh, green with a mono eye buried in its head, but it's a much like it's more slender, but it's also got a lot more like paneling in its armor. So it really looks like a piece of military equipment. Yeah, and I I like the name Grays. I don't know, like there is. First of all, I think it evokes like the the color gray and like the idea of like Grays as like. They are aliens, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, they are like this, and this sort of this idea of like this mindless, not this mindless mass, but just like this unknowing, or rather like unknowable mass of like just like th- uh, consciousness that you cannot understand. Mm. But also graze just to mean like your bullets will fucking graze us. You cannot touch us, right? Yeah. I, I which, it's, uh... it's cool. It's cool. Which turns out to not be the case. Mikazuki does not graze them with his big big beat stick. 
I love that the Gundam in this show, the Barbados, has a just a big mace. It's just a. It's one of the things that I really love about this show is that the. The combat is entirely with like kinetic weaponry. So it is just like mobile suits like smashing and bludgeoning each other and like crumpling armor and like pounding each other into the dirt. It's, it's really visceral. It's really good. Yeah, it really is. I like it a lot. Um, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed G-Witch, but a lot of the time the combat could feel kind of extra- abstract. Like it was just, they're just sort of flitting around in space and doing things with each other, right? This is why, yeah. this is why I was cheering for many reasons whenever Dawn of Falls showed up, because they were the faction that used kinetic weaponry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, there's a line I love early on. Um, mm. I think it's in the first episode, maybe even, uh, where the the Gallarhorn arrive and are firing at the at the what's the PMC called again? Uh, it's originally uh, CGS or Crease Guard Security, uh, and then later on, after the kids mutiny and take over, it's named Tekadon. Yeah, so the security they're they're firing at the security forces, and um, one of the kids comments like, "Wow, they're using live like they're using a lot of ammunition. Uh, they must be rich." Like. Uh, like they're using a lot of live ammunition and that is, I, I, I love how immediately invested we are in just the material concerns of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. This is like, one of the things I really love about IBO is that like the first season, especially like very closely, like tracks the resources that, um, the characters have access to. And we even in the first three episodes that we've seen, we even see a little bit of this where like, uh, the second time that Barbatos goes out for that duel in episode three, it's clear that they've been patching it up with bits of the scrapped greys that they fucked up. Like, it's got a piece of green shoulder armor that it didn't have in the previous episodes because, like, they don't have the parts to fix it properly, so they just bolted bits of the greys onto it. And that's awesome. Like, I love that... I, I love a story that, like, understands that, like, the resources people have available, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like... It's really cool. I mean, that's how it goes from the jump because the way that they start the Barbados back up again is by fixing one of the like mobile worker units, I think, like the, yeah, the yeah. center console of it into the mobile suit so that uh, uh, Mika can connect with it. Yeah, because it's been like stuck in the basement for years. They like the everything around the cockpit got ripped out and sold, so they have to like jury rig uh, the interface from like one of the their little tanks onto it to make it work. Also, just. Uh, a side note, I, I love the mobile workers as a concept. And I wish they were in, like, more Gundam shows. Because they're basically, like, they're little tank-sized mechs that are, like, a lot faster than a tank. Uh, they kind of, like, zip around the battlefield, like, just pounding things with gunfire while, like, circling around them. Uh, and they're also absolutely useless against mobile suits. And I think I really love that, like... You know, mobile workers are, like, big, they're, they're powerful, they're kind of how the battlefield is shaped for, like, most of that first episode, and then a single Grey shows up and just starts, like, kicking and shooting them and there's nothing they can do. It really, like... Yeah, I was commenting while we were, while we were watching this, like, wow, it's really interesting that this, that this whole fight is being done without mobile suits, right? Um, and then and then the Grey's flies down and it changes the entire thing. It, the 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 thing shifts in a really good way. It it's, does such a good job of making mobile suits feel like huge and threatening because especially because like mobile workers get up to maybe like ankle height on a mobile suit. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that like, you know, it doesn't need to happen in every Gundam show, but like you know, mm-hmm. uh, mobile suit Gundam original like double seventy nine. It's just mobile suits from the start, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh which for mercury everyone has mobile suits like there there are uh there are other one like there are like other types of machine that you can you know mobile around but for the most part you're just seeing mobile suits walking around the the like yeah, the, yeah. the classroom right uh this one really makes them feel like special in a way that i really like yeah like it there there is like a sense that like I don't know, these are, like, old and rare and very valuable. Like, Barbatos is, uh, I think it's called out as being at least a couple of hundred years old in these in this first set of episodes. It's from the Calamity War, yeah. right? Which, oh, uh, which, oh boy, we'll get into the Calamity War more later. 
we don't know anything about it so far. We know that there was a Calamity War and that Barbados is from it and, like, maybe just, like, a lot of mobile suits stop being used or, or after that, necessarily, or, like, at least some stop being used and I don't know. Like, I, I'm interested in where this is going because is this where we bring up the thing that I'm sure we'll be tracking throughout this, which is Jane's <laughs> 500 long character, uh, Twitter, 500 long tweet thread about how IBO and, and G witch are connected. Yeah. This was, this was a theory that I was cultivating through, I think a, until a good portion of the way through season two of G witch, which was the, um, uh, witch from Mercury was like a prequel to, uh, I am blooded orphans. And then, you know, the, the Calamity War happens and it kind of leads to the conditions that we see in IBO. Uh, and, you know, one of, one of my big things for that theory was, like, when that Galahorn soldier shows up again in Episode 3 and, like, challenges them to, like, a mobile suit duel, like, one of the characters specifically calls out, yeah, back before, like, the massive war ruined everything, uh, most things were settled by, like, duels of honor, which is, like, exactly how Astacasia works. Yes, you're exactly, that. you're right about that. And I... I have a feeling this theory isn't like literally true, but I do like the idea of it. Yeah, um, I, it it is probably not true if for no other reason than uh, Iron Blooded Orphans was like quite divisive and unpopular in Japan, especially in its second season. Uh, and G Witch fucking printed money, so I cannot see anybody wanting to associate the two. That makes sense to me, but I still this is still something I want to track as the episodes go on because I just want to hear your I want to hear your fucking corkboard theory. My increasingly deranged justifications. Um, there's a lot. Let me see, and but the idea of like the idea of years and years ago, instead of fighting with these grand like instead of fighting in this like very military like modern military way, we fought with duels. This is a I don't know, like you could say this the, somebody could be saying this in I don't know, mo- the modern day in real life too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh and the way I mean that is that like it's not really true, probably, is just my assumption. Yeah. Like I I mean, it's, I, it, it makes it feel... Oh, sorry, go ahead. It's not even true in G-Witch. Like, as soon as the shit hits the fan in that show, like, all, like, dual rules and, like, types of honor are just thrown out of the window and people start killing each other. Right, it feels like a way to sort of, like, fantasize and fetishize the past. Yeah, definitely. In a way that, like, is very reminiscent of how that happens in the real world. Like, you know, gallantry, chivalry, all that stuff. Uh it feels like a lot of the same tendencies are happening inside of like the, the, the minds of these kids. Uh, and I, I, I think that's really interesting. Like how they are trying to like how in the third episode, when the duel happens, they're like trying to attempt to return to this, um, this dueling structure in a way or call back to it. Mm -hmm. But like, it's fully inundated by like, Hey, uh, I have a a bunch of people under me. Shoot me in the head real fast. I can't bring myself to kill myself. Uh, I I'm here fighting children. You know, like it's every single bit of it is twisted because it's it's there's no such thing as this ideal like dueling one on one structure, especially not in the modern day. Yeah, exactly. Like Crank, I think especially is he is an interesting character to like introduce at the start and then kill off very quickly because he very much. He has this, like, air about him of being, like, the last honorable man in this absolutely fucked up world. And, like, he he's the only member of Galahorn we see who seems to have any kind of problem with just mowing down children. Yeah. Like, we see, before their assault starts, there's, like, snipers who are absolutely fine to be just, like, zooming in on these kids and, like, plucking them in the, plugging them in the heads. And so Crank, like, trying... It's... It, He's trying to, like, balance the things that, like, his duty makes him do with, like, any kind of morality. And the show makes it very clear that, like, he cannot do that. Like, if he if he tries to balance these things, he'll just die. Yeah, yeah. that It's really good. Um, it It's making a statement about, like, where the show is going, right? That this mm-hmm. guy dies immediately. <laughs> um, it, it's, and also that, like, th- there's no way that this guy is, like, a good guy, right? Yeah. Uh, 
he's like a he's a high ranking guy from Galar Horde. He has presumably been doing like a lot of the he and he works around people who, like you said, they were sniping people at the beginning, and that's not like they were sniping mobile suits. They were sniping kids, like, and they could they could see through their guns that they were kids. I think also like another interesting wrinkle to Crank's character, like pointing to like you know he tries to have this like uh, affectation of vulnerability, but it's not really there. Is it's a it's a one-off line, but right at the start of the episode when they're like clearing the mission and getting ready to go, um, the commander of the Mars base mentions that um, uh, Captain Orlis, the guy who is like gleefully like mowing down mobile workers and like uh, fleeing children at the end of that episode, is like a former student of Crank's. Oh yeah, like Crank trained this guy, and he turned out to be a fucking psychopath. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, we're not leaving any stuff. Like the, there is no pure soldier here. No, absolutely not. Uh, the guy that Crank really, I, I you said this was, uh, I, I, the guy that I can, I can, I think of when I think of Crank is Ramba Rawl from the first Gundam. I can't believe this had uh, never crossed my mind because it's a really good comparison. <laughs> because Ramba Rawl is, he's not exactly the same guy. Like he doesn't have a problem in the same way with like going after Amaro. Yeah. Uh, but. There's this great scene in 79 where uh, they meet in a bar and, like, for a moment, like, Rambaral just thinks the Amaro is some kid, right? Yeah. Uh, and they make this little connection uh, that is soon, like, soon that tiny little bit of, like, human connection has to be broken because they have to go at each other on the battlefield again. Like, they realize who... Like, uh, Rambaral realizes who Amaro is. Eventually, I think, yeah. he, you know, invades the mobile... The, the, the white base and is killed. But I, I love... That's one of my favorite bits from the show so far is there, like, is just that entire little arc with him. And I think that he really reminds me of Crank in that way that he does, like, understand that there is something a little bit fucked up about all this. And I think I think even IBO is like the more I think about it is like deliberately playing with that because one of the like really iconic bits from the Ramba Ral arc in seventy nine is like the moment where um, just after they meet in the bar where like Amaro is like fighting the goof in the Gundam and they both like smash each other's cockpits open and really see each other for the first time and it is yeah. like it's kind of it fucks Ramba Ral up and it's like earth shattering for Amaro to like not only not have that layer of abstraction between him and the people he's killing anymore, but to have it be, like, someone who he knows and who was nice to him. Yeah. And in I Am Blooded Orphans, there is kind of the same moment where Mikazuki rips off uh, the cockpit of uh, Crank's greys and, like, sees him and, like, Crank is, like, having this very heartfelt conversation with him where he's saying, like, look, I did this for my men, but I also didn't want to, like, kill kids. And this was, like, the only way I could, like, do this and live with myself. And Mikazuki's just not listening to him. He is, like, he's looking around, he's scratching his head, he looks bored, and then as soon as Crank is like, hey, could you kill me? Mikazuki doesn't even let him finish talking before he just shoots him and moves on. Yeah. And I think that that is going to be, like, something very important to track going forward, is just, like, the extent to which all of these kids are, like, so fucked up and traumatized by like the the work that they've been doing that like they can't form those connections with other people yes yes i there is a there are so many great scenes that demonstrate that sort of thing in these episodes the the one where they kill almost all of their original uh superior like all the adults at the at the uh security force first of all yeah like the the mutiny is carried out by um Basically, they just drug the food of the ad- adults who are still running the place, tie them up, stick them in a room together, and then to make sure that they know who's in charge, uh, Orga has Mikazuki just, like, shoot their leader in the head, like, point blank while he's unarmed and tied up. Yeah. I'm I'm really interested in the relationship between Agra and uh, Mikazuki. Like, they they seem to be, like... They are the heart and the muscle of this sort of force yeah. in a way. Uh, and I we've seen flashbacks to how their relationship has worked, right? Mm-hmm. Or like how their relationship has it's and it's unclear if it's like how it um <clears throat> how it started or or how like it sort of became what it is today. 
right? Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if we'll get any like, I don't know, twist on it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like this kind of feels like the the thing that's being set up where, uh, one of like there is some manipulation going on, perhaps. Or I I don't I don't really feel like that's what's going to happen, but I feel like it's it's fruitful ground for it to be ha- to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I I. Uh, I won't get into it now because obviously we've got forty-seven episodes to go. But I have a lot of a lot of feelings about Mikazuki and Orga's relationship. It's I I need to like rewatch these first three episodes because I think I glazed over the flashbacks a little bit, but I think they're like I didn't really understand what was going because the first episode starts with one, um, and it, it sort of gets you right in there in a mm. way that I didn't really get what was going on. Uh, I I I will say that. Having seen these episodes quite a few times, there is no way to really clean like what is like plot wise going on during those scenes. It is mostly just okay. setting up that relationship of like, you know, Orga gives the order, Mikazuki fires the gun. Yeah, uh, and I, man, I I want to talk about I want to talk about Mikazuki's character. Before that, though, I want to talk about how these kids think about death. Uh huh. <laughs> um, because. You, you talked about how they have, like, a lot of, like, they can't form human relate, like, connections in that same way. Uh, I want to connect that back to what we were talking about with, like, how they think about, like, the the old, the like, how um, the old system of dueling is thought of. And I want to just talk about how, like, the way that these kids conceptualize death is brought up multiple times. Specifically, like, death in the line of battle. Mm-hmm. Um and multiple times it's stated that I think it's both in both times or maybe just in one. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but the first time that's brought up is with Cordelia when she tries to apologize for like the mission that she was sort of the catalyst of and the sort of, the, you know, the, the invasion that she was sort of the catalyst of mm-hmm. uh, getting uh, Mikazuki's friends killed. Right. Yeah. Um, and Mikazuki just responds like, it's basically like it's disrespectful for you to think that you played any part of their deaths. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is this, and that happens later on too. That's basically that same beat, but I think it's with, um, Arga. Yeah. Yeah. Both Um, of them like express this kind of idea to her. What does, and this is really interesting. Like, I think this is at the core of this show. Um, like just this idea that, Death is not something that I, I. It's a little. It's. I feel like we'll get in on like Conan closer to what they mean exactly. But for now, what it seems like is like you. Death is something that is special to them. Mm-hmm. Death is something that doesn't come from like the mission or like like some like like death doesn't come from some person hired them and then they die. And then that's that person's fault. Right. Um, it, it seems like they seem to think of death as like a, like almost a, like venerable thing. It's, it's venerated and it's also regarded almost as just like a completely mundane occupational hazard. Yes, but the the occupational hazard thing for sure. And also, like, but just the way that, like, she is so outright dismissed and, like, like scorned for ha- for even thinking that she had anything to do with these deaths. Yeah. Um, that I think that it really does hold, like, like, like hold some special plate. Like, the idea of dying hold- is something special for these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, like, when you combine that with, like, the uh presented ideas of like oh the old time of dueling right it creates this kind of like we have to go back and look at fascism right yeah definitely like what are what are the ideals that these kids have in their heads what have they learned and i think that like an almost worship of death and like uh, like regard for like the old ways i think that like there is something happening there i will say like Okay, two things. First, uh, this is all true. I will also say that, like, the fact that Cudelia is, like, so scorned for saying this uh, is also going to play into just, like, a broader problem that I think Iron-Blooded Orphans has, which is that it does not treat its female characters particularly well. Oh, that that seems like it'll be true, yeah. It's, like, it's... I've I've seen Gundam shows that treat female characters worse, but I've sure shit seen ones that treat them better also. 
I, in episode three, she says like, I know my place now. It's not, it's to battle, not to battle on the battlefield, in my mobile suit, but to battle in a different way. I will say we do meet female mobile suit pilots later in the show. That is, that is a thing that's in the world. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, the other, the other thing I would say is like, I think you are definitely onto something with like the way these kids like are regarding death. And I think, I think actually what you said is going to become more potent as the series goes on in a lot of ways. Uh, but just like, Factually, like, they don't really know anything about the old dueling culture. Uh, that exclusively comes from uh, Yuki Nojo, the uh, engineer working at the base, who is, like, one of the only adults that they, like, like having around because he's actually kind of nice to them. The kids as a whole have, like, no education to the point where a lot of them, including Mikazuki, are illiterate and don't really know anything about history in that way. Right, right, right. I More so, I guess, what I mean is that the idea... It's one of the only ideas that they have brought up around them true I guess yeah, what yeah, I mean. yeah. It, it's not literally from them but it is in their like it is in the show in that way mm-hmm. um in in a way that i like maybe it's not necessarily these kids point of view but it is an idea that is brought up around what these kids are doing mm-hmm. um and and i think that is important to keep in mind yeah definitely for analyzing this going forward um Mikazuki's an interesting character. Mikazuki is, he's fulfilling every, every good Gundam show has at its core, some kind of autism creature. Yeah. And that's Mikazuki for this. (laughs) That's Mikazuki. Uh, He is like, he is, uh, not particularly emotive. He is, uh, quick to murder. (laughs) He's quick to follow orders. Um, specifically orders from Orga. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, he is uh he doesn't seem to like the idea of making friends with people or even really like get that that's what's happening a lot of the time um he also is very uh sharp in a way not like he like with his words um like when cordelia tries to shake hands with him in episode one or yeah, two it's one uh in episode one this is a great moment uh and uh she's you know she sticks out her hand he takes off his glove and says my hands are dirty i guess we weren't we like i guess we weren't equal from the start yeah he, like, he doesn't want to get her hand dirty by shaking it which you know that great little metaphor like oh one of them has dirty hands and the other doesn't very basic stuff but i mm-hmm. he says it so like directly to her uh in a way that i think is very characterizing yeah i think also uh i should mention we're watching the dub of iron Blooded orphans which is, I think, like a genuinely a really good dub. Like I, I have had problems with like uh, the Witch from Mercury's dub as like not really capturing the spirit of the characters. But I think like in a lot of cases, I feel like the dub performances in IBO like kind of outshine the uh, the original Japanese ones. And I think that's interesting. That's true for Mikazuki, and I think it's also very true for McGillis. Ooh, yeah. We haven't gotten a lot of McGill's so far, but I am interested in him mm-hmm. because I I know a lot about him. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, I I know a lot about him from you telling me about it and from it happening in the the problematic character. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Thing, but I also just like when you put a char on screen, <laughs> you know that they're gonna have a complicated backstory. Probably. I do, I do love how immediately the show is just like, look at this blonde guy and this purple guy who are best friends. This is so fucking doomed. <laughs> yeah, it is. God, <laughs> it's really funny. Like, Garma exists for like three episodes. Uh, the he's so institutional to like Gundam knowledge, right? It's incredible how yeah, how influential he like, how large he looms in other AUs. Where Gailio is going to be, he's going to be coming up consistently throughout, uh, and like he's not even the most prolific um, like Gamma clone. Like fucking Athrin Zala from uh, Gun- uh, Gundam Seed is kind of the, that show's version of, Ga- of uh, Gamma, and he is like a main character in the first fifty episodes, uh, the deuteragonist of the first twenty-five episodes of Seed Destiny, and then uh, like a main cast member for the back half of that show. <laughs> Oh my god. And then you get yeah, louder and... from G Witch who's just fucking nothing. <laughs> oh, I never even thought about 
Yeah, I guess that is what he is, huh? He has the same, like, hair twirly thing. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Does that make... Wait. Does is that mean that, like, they're they're going for, like, a... What the fuck is his name? The guy. What guy? The His brother. Uh... Guel? Are they are they doing like a Guel as Char thing there? I, I mean, how how I always felt about G Witch was that it kind of splits Char into like three characters, where like yeah, Guel is like red mobile suit skilled rival character, fucking uh, and uh, like Shadi is the like plans and schemes and blonde hair guy, and then Prosper okay. is the one who is like the antagonist has the mask has like the long form revenge bullshit going on. I think that they discovered a secret formula where the more chars there are, the better it is. Because all those characters rule. This is true. Uh, Next season of Gundam, they put out, oops, all chars. (laughs) I remember at the start of G-Witch when people were speculating, like, oh, Suleta is going to be the char. I I think that would have been such an interesting direction to go in. I was was Suleta is char-pilled for a little while. Yeah, yeah. I think that would have been sick. It didn't it didn't happen, but it it would have been sick. Yeah, definitely. Uh Gee, it's pretty good. Uh IBO IBO also pretty good so far. Um I I don't have any big problems with it or anything. I, I, I'm having a lot of fun. I think the, the battles are cool. Um I the characters are all really interesting. I love Biscuit. I love Biscuit. Uh, Biscuit and what his little sister's cookie and cracker. <laughs> I. This is classic. This is some classic bullshit. This is you listen, giant robots, whatever. Shark clones, sure. How you know you're in a Gundam show is when you've got some motherfuckers named something like Cookie Cracker and Biscuit. <laughs> yeah, I, I they do name the fat character Biscuit, which is a little bit, uh, but you know, he's good otherwise. He's he's still good. Yeah, I like I like Biscuit. Who is he's like. Being introduced as like this tempering influence so far. Yeah, <laughs> Where yeah. He's very much like, or it seems like you know, Orga is the ideas guy. Mikazuki is the guy who goes and shoots people, and Biscuit is the person who kind of has to make those ideas a reality. Like Orga says, right, we need to get the mobile suit out of the basement, and Biscuit is the one who has to oversee like putting the damn thing together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the same happens later on with like they're figuring out like the accounting situation, and Biscuit helps there. Mm-hmm. There's a, okay, so there's there's Mikazuki, there's Arga, there's Biscuit, and there's the fourth guy. Uh, there are four guys, and there's they seem to be like the four important guys. Uh, who who's it's like the blonde guy, right? Yeah, that's uh, Eugene, who is like Eugene. Yeah, who's like nominally the second in command, but really just kind of stands around agreeing with whatever the last thing he heard was. <laughs> So he he's not as much of a character so far, and it sounds like maybe he's not going to be that much of a character. We, we do get a bit more of Eugene as the show goes on. I love his design because he has like, he's wearing like army fatigues and like a green jacket and a vest, uh, and also just like a loose necktie over it to try and look more professional. Uh huh. He's also like the least professional of them all, though. Like he's the one who like they're meeting their new client. And he's like, hey, what's up? Oh, the one, or he's also, like, yelling at Orga for, like, giving the people who quit severance pay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, so are, are these, we learned that there were, uh, there were experiments done on children, um, to, to make them more, like, the better soldiers, basically, uh, to make them better, like, integrating with the mobile suits with the mo- or the mobile uh, workers yeah they the alea vignana system is like a uh a little implant that the kids are given which forms a like a connection point between them and like heavy machinery like a mobile worker or a mobile suit and we know that we know it seems like okay uh we know that Mikazuki and Arga have these. Mm-hmm. Are we and we know that only four kids well okay, we know that it happened to eight kids. Four of them went off to a hospital and could be anywhere for all we know. One of them could be McGillis, I don't know. <laughs> uh that 
I, I you know, like the, the, anything could happen at this point. Uh-huh. Um, and, but the, the other two, they seem to know more about are those biscuit and Eugene. Uh, so I, I, I don't know, actually, uh, that was just like their specific group who was brought in for an Alea Vignana. Okay. The way the CGS basically worked was they just like, they round up recruit recruits, uh, and just like kids off the street, uh, implant them all with the Alea Vignana. If it works, great. Stick him in the, a mobile worker and put them on the front lines. If it doesn't, kick him off to a hospital. He's not our problem anymore. Oh, uh, okay. I think I misunderstood. I thought that this only happened to those eight kids. Ah, no. I... Most of the most of the kids at the CGS, if you look, have the implant on their spine. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, so that, that actually changes this quite a bit. I thought that this was like some super special thing that only a couple of them had. No. Uh, but it, this was actually, it, it's all of them. This was another thing where I was like, maybe there's a connection to G-Witch here, which was that I initially thought that this might have been like... Uh, a like a dodgy back alley version of the gunned format, basically. Okay. Because that's also like for that's... interfacing with technology and stuff. And obviously, I'm I'm not one hundred percent sure how the gun format works now because the show kind of muddles it. I'm pretty sure it's like wireless, so I don't. I think I'm wrong about that. Uh, probably. I mean, it's it's a hundred, two hundred years in the future or whatever, right? Could uh-huh. be. Could be. Um. I'm also, it's really interesting. I, hmm. Oh, I have a lot of things to say. Uh, <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. No, re, re, reroute. Um, oh no, did I forget it? No. I need to meditate. <laughs> G- take me back through what we were just talking about. Gun format. Before that, what was Gun it? Gun format, uh, uh experiments on children alevignana system most of them have it okay right um i'm interested in how uh we talk a lot about how like the mobile suit as a as a device acts to uh like perform abstraction yeah right yeah um uh the alevignana system seems like a second layer of that almost Mm. uh where like Mikazuki does not need to read the manual or learn how the Gundam works, right? Yeah, and uh, he can't. <laughs> he can just integrate. He can just integrate with it and, and know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this is actually a stark contrast to. I think this is a direct, like, intentional contrast to again the first episode of Gundam, where uh, Amuro gets in the robot and then has to read the manual while he's fighting. He has a big ass paper manual in his lap while he's killing people. <laughs> and. I I think that like I think that that is like this is providing a second layer of abstraction because like Amuro is learning like here are the buttons I have to press to kill someone mm-hmm. right um like it, it creates like it means that he is still doing something whereas like when you integrate with this and like don't even really have to think about it it becomes almost like a video game or something right <laughs> like like it's it's not like quite to the extent as like we see in the beginning of like g witch or something mm. uh but i i i think that there is a greater like level of abstraction when it almost seems like you don't have to even learn like how to how to do this you you can simply like integrate with it and like just be acting right do you know what i mean i yeah i i get what you mean but i i think i would almost take an opposite view of like this is like intentionally removing that layer of abstraction where it's like okay okay mikazuki is like he is like not a person directing a machine to kill someone like he's directly connected to it he is a part of the machine that is doing the killing and i think that's that's even something you can maybe even see in like the way that the uh, mobile suits are shot and like the way like especially in the duel in episode three like when Mikazuki hits that thing, like engine oil splashes out of it like blood. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm leaning more toward what you're saying now. Yeah, that, that seems right. And there is like, I don't know, like, an idea that like these these kids have been like molded into into weapons for killing, and a question of like whether they are able to like escape that like extremely fucked up conditioning that they've been through in this environment. 
yeah, that makes a lot. They the they are the mobile suits in that way, mm-hmm. right? They are they they are the suits. They are the workers. That that makes a lot of sense. I think that you're right that it is actually trying to rip away the abstraction a little bit. Um, that that's really cool. And I think <laughs> this, this show is cool. It's cool, and I think that's that's also reinforced by the fact that um, if you look, the uh, Galahorn troops with their mobile suits do not have a layer of Vinyana systems. There's no uh, oh, yeah. connection running into their back from the suit. And I think that that fits with Crank. Like, you know, there were snipers on the ground shooting these kids. Crank was so checked out of what was going on that he didn't know that there were kids there until he, like, got on the radio with Mikazuki. Like, he is yeah. so abstracted from what's going on that he doesn't realize who he's killing. He does this every fucking day. He doesn't care. Yeah. If he hadn't gotten on the radio with Mikazuki, he wouldn't have known. He could have done this. Um, he could have. He may. He could have mowed down kids a million times and never known. Yeah, I can't remember if it's in this episode or might be one of the upcoming ones. But one of the excuses that the uh, Mars base captain gives to McGillis about why there is so much commotion is that he is like sent a division out to do like riot suppression. Okay. And, yeah. Like I don't know. It's it, you know. God. Crank presumably is just like in a mobile suit or in a mobile worker shooting protesters sometimes yeah yeah he's the he's the good one right <laughs> man good i i i'm excited to keep going through the show <laughs> uh, I, i'm excited to keep watching it because like you you know you i i love this show a lot and i think you bring like a lot of really interesting perspectives to it yay yay i'm happy um uh, prediction i don't have any predictions yet mm. i'm thinking about I, I things i want to see i want to see more characters in mobile suits mm. um <laughs> more robots up, i know <laughs> wow cool robot well i i want the wow cool robot i want i want fucking i want orga to get in a mobile suit but i want it to be in a really precarious i want it to be like this is a fucked up thing that's happening like orga should never have, like i should have been his hand or whatever Ooh, yeah, yeah, um yeah. i want some shit like that uh, I I want to see McGillis uh, do something fucked up and interesting and evil and cool. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I I want to see Cordelia do something. That'd be cool. Period. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I I'm a, yeah. Iron blooded orphans. Iron blooded orphans. Bottom text. Anything else that you want to say about it before we uh, wrap it up today? Uh, oh, uh, the the only other thing that I have is that I, I know I was singing the dub's praises a little while ago. I do think there is a very funny, like, I don't know how this happened, but, like, um, when the, the former president of the CGS is, like, he's gathering up all his loot because the base is being attacked, and he has to, like, input a code for his safe, and he's like, oh, what, what's the code of the safe has? Something to do with that female dog I had when I was a kid. Oh, wait, getting the loot? Female dog? And this reminds him that Kudeli is on the base and he needs to send someone to go and get her. And it's, I don't know, it's so obvious to me that the original line was supposed to be, wait, a bitch? Some treasure? Oh, Kudeli is still on the base. I don't know why. I, that was re- <laughs> I was really confused by that. <laughs> Like, clearly he was I, meant to I say ass- bitch, and he's meant to associate that with Kudelia, which is a lot easier to associate with her than just the phrase female dog. Right. You you can... You, some shitty guy would think, oh, that bitch on the planet we have to kill, right? Yeah, Maruba sucks uh, ass. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, What's his name? Maruba. Maruba, okay. Yeah, he's... I don't know. I just think that's... Clearly someone decided that was too much for some reason, and... Or it was like, I don't know, maybe it was like an overly literal translation that nobody checked over. Uh-huh. Um, it's very it's very funny. Yeah, it makes it seem like nonsensical. Like <laughs> just like he's he has in the moment it seems like he's trying to like remember a password or something. Um he like he it seems like he's like created some strange system of like if i think of this while i think of the password i'll think of this too and then i'll think of that woman who's on the planet who uh i i i remember using these funny numbers that i'll type in now with my past i like it it seems like nonsense it does seem like he's just like having a nervous breakdown while the base explodes (laughs) (laughs) well next time what are we watching jane uh we are watching probably episodes four five and six 
Sounds good to me. <laughs> anything else Ugh. you want to talk about this week? Uh, no, I don't think I have anything else to say today. All right, sounds good. In that case, uh, thank you for partaking of the Nectar of the Pods with us. Thank you for sippy our oil. <laughs> our iron blood. Our iron blood. Bye! Bye.